Um, John, thanks for joining me today on the Rising Above podcast. You have quite the amazing story. Um, and I'm thankful for Tim, your friend, and my uh, relative to uh, hook this interview up. So uh, I guess with that being said, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of what brought you to where you are today? And we'll get into your interesting um, uh, event that you have coming up here soon. Absolutely. So uh, first of all, uh, David, thanks for having me. And also, I, I do want to thank Tim, Tim Thomas as well. Um, know Tim since we were very, very young men, um, served together in the Army. And uh, it's been quite a journey since then. Um, we were just two young knuckleheads in the Army together. And our friendship has lasted the test of time. Uh, we're old men now and still stay very connected, try to hike together try to triathlon once in a while together over the years. Uh, but he has a fantastic family and um, he's a special guy. So yeah, it, Tim, if you're watching, thanks. Thanks for setting this up. Um, so, I mean, about me, right? So I, I, I have this very interesting story that is very much a blessing. And it's, it's the typical story of catastrophe, personal um, dilemmas, you know, the stuff we all deal with, right? Um, disappointment, um, absolute um, heart-wrenching um, situations that, I mean, I, I ended up having to parent alone two children um, because they're, my, my starter wife, um, that relationship just simply didn't work out. And I ended up with full custody, suddenly with full custody of these of children at a very young age after having served in the army for a decade and was just full of a lot of stress and anxiety, um, trying to make ends meet and try, trying to be a good parent while really starting to struggle with really deep anxiety and stress and, um, you know, had to quit jobs over the, the depression and the anxiety. And, and it was just, it was tough because then a lot of people counting on me, right. And, uh, gained a lot of weight was a cigarette smoker for many, many years, 31 years to be exact. Um, it just was, was a mess. Did not have a good, good handle on, uh, my life. Didn't have a good handle on, um, what I was, what I thought I could be. And, um, it all came to, it all came to this interesting confluence, um, in December of 2011. And I was, um, running some errands on December 17th and it was severely overweight and um, had been winded a lot recently. And I thought it was just cause I was a fat dude and uh, I was almost 300 pounds at the time. And I went to a local casino um, in Pennsylvania. I had recently moved. I, I, I married actually, I remarried during that time and had moved to New Jersey. My children were trying to establish themselves in PA. And I went to the casino because they offered me some free play. And I took the little goofy free play card and I left my ID in the car. I left my, my, uh, I left my ATM card in the car and I left my cell phone charging in the car. So all I had was this goofy little $63 to play in the casino in Pennsylvania. So I went in and the next thing I know, I'm deep in a coma four days later because I, I apparently had a, I suffered a STEMI, a sudden cardiac arrest sitting right there on that stool. And um, I had this big sugary drink next to me and a fresh pack of smokes. And I was just going to smoke the afternoon away and play my free play. And um, the early pictures of me and I'll share them with you. They, they have me in a neck brace. And I, and I think it's because the uh, witnesses saw me fall off the stool. 
I went from alive to um, this uh, fatal um, uh, fibrillation of my heart, and uh, and I fell off the stool and hit my head and my neck so hard that they thought they told the uh, the EMTs that they thought I broke my neck, and so um, I was. Uh, Fortunately, there was this beautiful volunteer on the scene, and I, I got to meet her later, and she is a friend of mine now. But she was an off-duty EMT, saw me go into fibrillation, uh, took control of the scene, started knife-pointing at people. You get the, the defibrillator, you call 911, and just took over. I was defibrillated three times at the scene, three times in the ambulance, and three times in the emergency room. I just really wanted to check out. And... Um, they, they finally went ahead and um, put me into this deep, um, um, they call it, uh, it's, it's uh, when they cool your body down a lot. It's, um, uh, what the heck do they call it? It's, um, uh, a, a, it's, it's, a, it's a therapeutic treatment where they lower your core body temperature to protect your heart. And I'll remember it while we're talking. But in order to do that, they also induce a coma. And the reason they induce the coma uh, oh, it's hypothermic, uh, hypothermia therapy, right? And so they they indu they basically lower your core body temperature down into the 80s, somewhere in the 80s, and your your want to your body wants to go into hypothermia, but um, so they put you on meds, and the meds keep you basically put you in a coma, and you're only supposed to stay in there for 24 hours, but um, I wouldn't come out. They kept trying to bring me out, I wouldn't come out. Meanwhile, my family has no idea where I am because that little goofy ID card. Had, I just had an old address from PA on it, and it was like several, like, I don't know, maybe 72 hours, maybe 80, 90 hours. My family had no idea where I was. My son was living in Florida. My wife was freaked out. My daughter had no idea, and I'm not the kind of guy that doesn't answer calls or come home, right? So, um, and so it's like, what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was crazy, and so apparently there was an off-duty police officer who was at the casino that recognized me because I was a youth basketball coach a couple years prior to that. He asked my name and um, he, they told him, well, we don't, we have just this ID. We don't have the rest of his ID. So we don't know how to talk to his next of kin or to his family. So the police officer went and ran. Um, the way the story goes is he, he went to his computer and he typed my name in. Unfortunately, um, I love my children, but they had very difficult youth. And so fortunately they were both, uh, in trouble often as juveniles. And so we came up a lot, you know, just the whole list of my daughter and so he went to the last known address and I had already sold my house and, uh, rings the doorbell. And the people that, that I sold the house to said, he doesn't live here anymore. We don't know where he lives. And so he, the cop went around and talked to the neighbors across the street was my, one of my son's good friends, Sean. And he starts calling my son in Florida and, uh, I don't remember, but it might have been a Sunday morning at this time, or maybe. Uh, so I knew my my son was probably out partying the night before and was sleeping it off. So it took all day um, to get him on the phone, and finally he they raised my son on the phone. Sean did, and um, he connected all the dots and called everybody, and then flew up here to see me in a coma. Um, so that's that's the, the beginning of the story. Um, that's where it all started, and. Um, for me, I, I call it my ground zero. I was I was overweight. I was unhealthy. I was stressed out. I was that guy that would flip you off in traffic. You know, I was just a mess. And I, that day, I got reset. I was kind of being rebooted. And um, so I could t I could tell you how it progresses from there as well. But um, yeah, 
so so that's that's pretty much the the setting the table on what happens next over the next decade so yeah absolutely uh so how old were you when that happened mm. i was 49 years old and wow. uh, was just was pretty young for something like that to happen but you know these things are indiscriminate they happen um for me it might have been a combination of several things of course it was health i was overweight the smoking didn't help. The stress didn't help. It was stressed out all the time. I was actually on meds and off meds, on meds and off meds for stress, anxiety. Um, I, I would completely shut down. Um, the anxiety was so outrageous that I never knew if I was going to get a call from the school to pick up one of the kids who was causing problems or if whatever it was, right? If I was going to not be able to make ends meet because I was trying to provide a two income neighborhood life for my kids, but I was a one income guy and, uh, and managing their school and everything else. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, it's pretty young at the time, but, uh, I think that all the factors were ripe. It's funny too. I had heart disease and didn't even know it. I just thought I was, just thought I was fat. No, I'm winded going upstairs. Of course I'm winded. I weigh almost 300 pounds and I don't, I don't weigh 300 pounds now in two, in like two two fifteen, but, uh, that's that's a pretty decent off-season weight for me. Uh, it, I'm not training for anything right now except for life. Um, but uh, like if I'm on the Appalachian Trail, I'll dip under 200 pounds. But at that time, I was over 300 pounds or close to 300 pounds. And um, yeah, I was just miserable. And like the meds were horrible. The meds would make you really lethargic and they cause the meds themselves cause like a stupor effect. So you weren't you weren't really depressed, but you were kind of useless, right? Mm. And the anxiety didn't cause your arms to go numb when you were driving and your eyes to to kind of see spots when you were driving because you were so freaked out about what the day was going to hold. Right. Right. The meds would take care of that, but then you would be useless. You, right. You, you, that makes sense. I have a I have a friend that um, she is on. I can't remember what antidepressant it is, but she's like, I think it almost makes it worse for me to take it. Like, yeah, I mean, we're always looking for that, right? I mean, I, nothing, nothing against people who have found a treatment that works for them, but for me, it just wasn't right. And um, when I, anyway, I got that reset. And um, so, man, I, go ahead. How did you go from being this person who's angry, uh, frustrated, stressed out, depressed, severely overweight, completely unhealthy, to being this, I would say, ultra mountain climber, right? So it's an interesting story. I, I came home. Um, my kids, the kids made sure I made it home here to New Jersey. My wife, my, my, my darling wife took me home and it, we were a mess. I had just come out of the hospital. Um, we, my health insurance had lapsed. I was, I was on Cobra and then Cobra lapsed. I was between jobs and uh, the hospital was astronomical. And that's, that's another amazing story. Uh, I might get a chance to tell part of that story here, but um, so we have this big bill. I'm unhealthy as hell. Um, my employer is nervous now to hire me on full time. That was supposed to happen in a few weeks. They wanted a clearance from my doctor that I would actually not be croaking. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, so it was a mess and I, I was laying here in my bed trying to recover and remember no health insurance at the time. So what, where am I going to rehab? Like most people go back to the hospital and they go to rehab. And I, I'm like, I don't think I have the money for that. I don't think I have insurance for that. So I started Googling a lot, um, just looking up stuff on the internet saying, um, 
recovery from sudden cardiac arrest. And of course, at this time, I'm making these other decisions too, like I'm not going to pick up a cigarette. I'm, I'm, I've lost maybe 26 pounds in the hospital because I didn't eat for like five days while I was in the coma. So I lost a ton of, ton of weight and I'm like, let's just keep that going. So the weight started to come off, metabolism changed. I stopped smoking because I couldn't smoke, right, for five days. And so I just said, you know, I'm just going to stick with this. I'm going to, I'm going to cut back on my eating. I'm not going to eat to, to, to make me feel better. I'm just going to eat when I need to. And so I started kind of grazing. And then I, I, of course I was on all these meds and I had to come back in 30 days for a follow-up. During that 30 days, I started researching and thinking, you know, Hey, I, I got reset here. You know, what do I want to do now? Am I going to go on disability and like milk this and lay around and never go back to work. I'm only 49 turning 50. And um, I said, no, you know, let's look at other options. So I started Googling. And then I went to the swimming pool. I have a swimming pool where I live. It's a complex. It has like an indoor pool. And I started like walking in the indoor pool. It was the only thing I could think of that was low impact. And this guy there, who's older dude, he said to me, you know, I was telling him my story because I still had like the IV marks and I had the scar in my leg from when they did the surgery um they, they they come in through your major one of your major arteries and in my case through your inner thigh mm -hmm. to do all the work and he said to me oh man you're going to recover just fine you're going to be like those guys flat line to finish line i read about them on the internet and i said flat line to finish line i looked it up and it's these people called the iron um, heart foundation they're they're in washington state and there's this dude named david watkins and David Watkins had like three cardiac arrests, a stroke and all this stuff one day. And he was like in the height of his life. He, he was he was an athlete. He was strong. He was a triathlete and he got struck down. And um, it, the iron the iron hike, I mean, the Iron Heart Foundation is an amazing foundation. So I, I started emailing with him and he was super responsive. He said, yeah, you can do this. Um, make sure that you talk to your doctor, um, figure out what your numbers are, figure out what the science is around what you think you can do and start doing it. We'd be glad to have you. And I said, what does having, what does that mean? He says, well, we have a Facebook group. We, you, um, we have a lot of advice. We, we, you know, it's a support group basically. So I joined and um, I started meeting people that like had zipper open heart surgery, you know, they, they were born with birth defects they had valve replacements. And these guys are doing like 15 mile swims and, they're on their third Iron Man, and I was like, this. And I was like, all teared up. I'm like, yeah, this is the guy I would like to be, um, and I kind of feel like I'm allowed to be that now. So I went to my cardiologist, and I, I said, and I, I flipped. I brought my my phone, and I flipped to him. I said, I'm start doing this triathlons, and he's like, what? You have heart disease? Like, no, you're not going to do that. And I said, well, get me up on. Let's do all the tests. So we did all the tests, and he said we did a really good job of fixing those, those two major arteries. They basically put stents in my arteries, which, it, which is considered an intervention and not surgery, by the way. And he says, other than that, you're healthy slash normal. You just have steel, you just have titanium parts in your, in your arteries. And uh, I said, okay, cool. I heard the normal and I went cool. So I went home and I, I showed my wife triathlon pictures and I said, I want to do this. And she's like, um, what? Like, did you just have like a massive catastrophic event? I said, yeah, but I, I think the next time, if it, the next time I die, I don't want it to be, um, in a casino with a pack of cigarettes next to me and big sugary drink. I'd, I'd rather it be like 
on an open water swim or on some mountain um, ridge line somewhere. And she said, um, I'm not talking you out of this. I said, no. So nine months later, I did my first triathlon in Atlantic City. And it was, it was a sprint, but it was, it was something, you know, I, I, I swam and um, the ocean or in, in, a, in a waterway. And I, I rode, um, I think it was 12 miles and I ran a 5k and I did it all under two hours, which really sucks. But I was the fastest guy that had died there. So, um, but so it was amazing. And that started the whole thing. And I, I started doing it with this, this um, group called the Delmo, Delmo Sports. I love all of his events here in New Jersey. So I did several of them. And um, I have pictures of that whole thing too. I, maybe I can share them with you here. Let me show you. I'll bring you up to that with photos, right? So yeah. let me bring this up. Um, let me share my screen now real quick too. All right, let's see. All right, I'm going to share these podcast photos that I had set aside for you. Can you see that one? Yep. Yeah, so that's me in my hypothermia therapy coma. And uh, I think my sister took that picture, and which I thought was interesting. Like, why would <laughs> she said, I, she said, I thought this was going to be the last picture of you? And I'm like, yeah, great. And so um, this next picture is. Uh, so I actually leverage this picture quite a bit when I try to show people before and after of, you know, what life can do to you when you're not looking and, and how, how you can take um, whatever chances you've been given. So I've been given a second chance and, and I'm very grateful for it. And I actually feel kind of guilty about it sometimes because I, I, I clearly didn't deserve it at the time. Right. So, um, and then this has been a joke for a while. This is, that's my daughter and my stepdaughter and my son. And um, so I told you I joined the Iron the Iron Heart Foundation, and I got this idea that I would hike the Appalachian Trail, the whole thing, in 2017. And so this is just kind of a joke that my daughters put together. Um, get up, old man. You got a lot of training and preparing to do in order to get on the Appalachian Trail in 2017. And I actually called that endeavor Heart Hike. Um, so it was a, a, a fundraising and awareness campaign within the Iron Heart Foundation called Heart Hike. Um, so here, I'm going to unshare now. That kind of brings you up to where I am. So when you started training for your first uh, Iron, or was it wasn't an Ironman, it was a triathlon. It was a triathlon, right? And these were all sprint distances, which for me were good enough for a while. And then I got bored with them. And I wanted what, to do something more that? epic. What was that process like? Was it was it difficult? And were you still severely overweight? What yeah. Was no, so here's the thing, right? I was so scared. When, when if you have a cardiac arrest or any any other kind of mysterious catastrophe that where suddenly your body just says, you know what, I'm done, and and you check out. It um, the fear factor is amazing. Like I remember. So one of the biggest things I had to overcome was, <laughs> so I couldn't even ride my bike on a trail or out on the highway because I was afraid that if something happened, um, how's, how is, how am I going to dial 911 or, or, you know, so it, it was just, it was unfounded too, because you, you're just scared. And as a matter of fact, for three weeks after the cardiac arrest, I was severely sleep deprived. And because I didn't want to go to bed, I don't want to go to sleep. I tried to stay up because I, I felt like if I went to sleep, I wouldn't wake up. And, and it was just, the fear was amazing. And so then I started training and I remember the first day that I started training, I found, um, 
$100 steel Schwinn bike. I didn't even have a bike. And so I bought a $100 steel Schwinn bike, a 1981 World. And it, it was beautiful, but it was steel, so it was super heavy. And I intended triathlon in it. And I have a picture of myself triathloning in this old steel bike. But that day, I got on the bike and I rode around the block. And then I walked around the block and I was exhausted. And then I, the next day I did the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And before I, before I know it, I was running in the pool, running in the pool was great. Um, I still kind of resort to aquatic type exercises. A lot of my buddies make fun of me and say it's, it's really good. Well, I say it's geriatric exercises, but (laughs) it's, it's how I, it's how I made my comeback in the pool. I was running and swimming in the pool. And I'm at the point now where like right now, even so I mentioned that I wasn't training. I'm really not training for an event right now, but usually when I do train for an event. Um, so I did hike some of the Benton Mackay trail that earlier in the year. And I trained for that and I was running in the pool. I got to the point where I was running about two hours nonstop in the pool, wow. which, which was great. The resistance is awesome, but yeah. So it was scary. And I remember the first, um, I convinced my buddy Sean to ride across the state of New Jersey with me, which sounds long, but it's not, it's a 50 mile ride. And in order to, and that basically that was a mental thing. I wanted to get to the point where I could let go of being close to the car, being close to my house. Um, because the fear was, you know, it was over, it was overwhelming and it was actually slowing me down. So we did this ride across New Jersey on highways, back streets, um, through state parks, and it was wonderful. And then, a lot of the fear of being alone or being away from familiar things and sweating that whole 911 call, which subsequently hasn't happened. So I started chipping away at that. And then I did the 15 triathlons over like four years, four or five years. And I started getting bored with it. And I, I, um, I went to my cardiologist and I said, I want to go bigger. I want to do Olympic distance or maybe an Ironman. And um, we just, dis- we disagreed about it a lot and, uh, he, I almost fired him. I said, look, it, I need, I need you to focus on my choices and I'm making choices off of your science. So when you give me numbers, when we check my resting heart rate and it's at 50 or 47, which is fantastic because I've been working my heart like a muscle and I'm, my weight's good and my numbers are all good. And we did the annual, um, uh, we do the annual stress test and, they do the sonogram and they, they see that everything's fine. When you do all that, I'm going to decide to do what I'm going to do next. And so um, triathlon just became not a chore, but it just became the same thing every year, every year. And so in 2016, we were driving somewhere and I don't remember where it was, but it was in Pennsylvania. We stopped for a quick break and I saw this white blaze on a tree and I went, oh, I wonder what that is. And, and uh, I figured out that that was the Appalachian trail or Appalachian trail if you're North of the Mason Dixon. And mm-hmm. I said, Start start reading about that. I remember a buddy of mine's brother did some of that in high school. I just thought it was really cool. And and then I realized that that thing goes from just north of Atlanta all the way to the middle of uh, eastern Maine. And it's 2,190 plus miles. So that day I came home and I showed my wife my phone again. And I said, I'm going to hike this. And she goes, that's that's nice, honey. Um, Is, is it is it is it right over there in in western New Jersey? I said it is, and and fourteen other states. And she said, "Wait, wait. you're not going to just hike on it, right? You're going to hike it." And I said, "Yeah." And so, how far is that? I said, "Well, it's like two thousand two hundred miles ish." And she's like, 
when are you going to find time to do that? I said, oh, uh, I'm going to quit my job. <laughs> Wait, what? And so this is 2016. And then my grandson was born. And, and I, I had to wait to 17. The grandson was a surprise. So I had to wait till 17. And fortunately, I was a consultant and my contract was ending. And my employer said, hey, how'd you like to be a full-time employee? You're doing great here. And I said, sure. Can I start in six months? They said, why? I said, this thing that, that I want to do. And they're like, oh, cool. So sure, sure enough, I saved up and funded the whole thing and left my wife with all the money to pay the bills. And I, in May of 2017, I got on the Appalachian Trail in Georgia. My wife dropped me off. And the idea was that I would go as far as I could. And I gave myself four to six months. And I knew I wasn't going to do the whole thing like some people half my age that don't suffer from heart disease. But so I started and I did a thousand miles and I have a map. I can show you the map, but I, I did a thousand miles and I was pretty much done. So I walked from Atlanta basically to Washington, D.C. through the Appalachian Range, um, through um, all those states. And it changed me. It changed me a lot. And um, I had to get off trail and go back to work and I had to come back to my family. And so then in seven, 18 and 19, I kind of did a couple hundred miles like every other weekend in the summer. I was just back out and I stayed committed with it, um, section hiking it, right? And um, then the pandemic struck and uh, people got, I got furloughed and then laid off. And I can bring you up to that story in a minute, but let me show you some pictures for the first thousand miles on the, well, let me just show you some AT pictures and then I'll walk you through how I finished. Okay. So here I'll share my screen again. Let's see, I'm going to go back to present mode, share screen, photos, share. All right. So uh, that's me triathloning. That's my beautiful daughter, Janessa. That's uh, at one of the several triathlons. Um, she actually came and ran the race on that one and she did the running race and she finished and she actually, she placed third. She's quite the athlete. And then this is one of my, fa this is one of my favorite photos. This, I almost, I almost, did I almost cry every time I see this photo? No, really. Um, to, to get from there on the left to, to that guy on the right. Um, a lot of people were, um, very supportive and, um, Again, I don't, I don't feel like I deserve to have turned into that guy on the right. Um, but, um, yeah, my wife, my kids, uh, people in the community, um, you know, God. is just so many, whew, so many things just came together. And, of course, you know, it's not perfect. That guy on the right's not perfect. He's just, he's just way further down the journey than that guy on the left. And the guy there on the left was so lost. And... Um, was given that reboot so yeah you see the difference <laughs> you'd feel the difference i could imagine at that point how much weight did you lose i would so i would say that i was on i was i was in the worst shape of my life and i weighed in the high 280s um so i'm older now right so i'm still and i'm a big dude um, so I use like in the winter, I'll get into the two high two twenties, which is, it's not healthy, but it's not almost 300. And then 
in the summer, I'm at about 212. And then if I'm really doing something extreme, like this year I did, a, last year I did a 217 mile hike of the New England Trail with a friend. And when I finished that, I was in the 190s. So, um, and what's funny is it's not so much about the weight. Uh, it, it's, yeah. more, it's, more about, um, it's more about health, fitness, cardio, and mindset, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, it's funny, I'm not in any of this for the weight loss. And I know um, so that I struggle with uh, weight swings. I, I did uh, some tests and I'm adopted too. So my, my, and I met my mother, my birth mother years ago, and she was also adopted. So like we, our lineage stops right there. And I had no idea, um, but she took, uh, she showed me photos, skinny fat, skinny fat. And I said, oh, wow, I'm struggling with that same thing. So some of that is probably hereditary, but yeah, that's something that I think I struggle with too. And especially like being in the North where it's cold, you know, like eight months out of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so it's, easy to put on weight and just, you know, try to insulate yourself. Yeah, so. for sure. But over, I don't know if you can see that, but on the left there is my mileage map. And you'll see that in 17, there was this huge swath. And then in 18 and 19, it was a tiny little segment of Pennsylvania. And that little purple segment is a couple hundred miles. Wow. And, and I did that over the weekends. And then in 2020, and I'll bring you up to speed on that. In 2020, and I'll unshare here. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're fine. So in 2020, I'm, I'm working in IT. I, I'm... I'm building teams. I'm in charge of a group, uh, careers going really good. And suddenly, um, the, the whole COVID-19 is happening and there's infighting at the company anyway, where I was working, I'm not going to slam them here, but, and, and so they're thinking of doing a mass layoff COVID hits and they decide that's the great excuse to do a mass layoff. So they do the mass layoff and I'm on the list and I get severance. And I come home from, I was actually going to the office every day and I come home and said to my wife, I got really bad news. And she said, yeah, what's that? I said, no, got laid off today At, with about 26% of the group. And she went, wow. And then I smiled. She goes, you don't look sad. I said, no, we got some severance and this. And she's like, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, can you drop me off in Pennsylvania? I'm going to walk to Maine. And she said, hmm, everything's closed. And I said, can't close the outdoors. <laughs> and she said, yeah, but everything's closed. And people are staying home. And I said, well, I'm not going to. So I waited until the governor of Pennsylvania announced that, quote, unquote, his state parks were open. And I went, cool. So, and, and you're allowed to camp in the state parks. And that turned out to be hmm, sometime around May of 2017. And I was watching the horror stories. Of, hmm? 2020? 2020, I mean, yeah, 2020. Second time on the trail for a long haul. The first one was 1,000 miles. This one was set to be about 1,000 miles as well. Um, and so... Um, I was watching Facebook. I was watching people shaming each other for being on the trail. I was watching the, the, the new CEO of the ATC down there, the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, um, make all these decisions that the trail was closed and that you should go home. And 
they were pulling police tape over shelters and they they wow. were putting padlocks on privies which are the outhouses and and it just horror stories of people who are on trail and then there was this whole group of people that were arguing well the best place to social distance is in the woods and then um you know um my I'm gonna impact. I'm not gonna be of no impact in the woods. And, and if I were home, I'd still be able to go to the CVS and to my grocery store, and the Home Depot. And so I'm gonna expose and and get exposed more in the real world than I would in the hiking world. And so that whole argument was going on, and I just decided I didn't care about the argument. That I was gonna give it a shot. And so in May, I got on, and I got on in May, and my goal was to do the whole thing. And I got all the way up to Maine and again, evolved again. Um, they call these things long ass section hikes, right? They're called lashers. So if you're a section hiker, but you're out for more than 500 mar miles, they call you a lasher, right? Long ass section hiker. I called mine flashes because they were F wording long ass section hikes. These were <laughs> long, like we're looked like almost 900 miles in the second one, over a thousand in the first one. And so here I am out for almost 900 miles and um, I get to Maine and then I decide it's time to come back home again. You know, family, work, it was time to get back to work. Things were reopening, jobs were starting to happen again. The reaction to COVID-19 was starting to slow down um, and become less restrictive and it was time to get back to, to a job. And so I, again, called my wife and I said, I think I'm gonna get off trail. I have about 161 miles left. I'm going to save them for next year. And I did, I saved them. And so in 2021, I technically finished the AT. Um, and I went back and did Maine with some friends, like a large, large swath of Maine, the second half of the 100 mile wilderness, et cetera. But so that's the AT story. So I started in 17, finished in 21. Um, literally changed me. I, I was thinking of writing a book about, you know, you know, something like from dead guy to, to, to long ass section hiker or from dead guy to flasher. But I just, it's didn't the book. I mean, I had started writing it. I have like several hundreds of, um, pages, handwritten pages, eh, maybe 160 handwritten pages of all these stories broken down into little short stories. And, and then in the books, you know, the book's interesting. It's sitting there, but it's not as compelling as I wanted to do something else. And so I thought maybe I would do another through hike. And so I went and hiked from end to end the New England Trail, um, which is the smallest national scenic trail in the United States. And that was cool. And I, I got finished that. And, and uh, then I'll bring you up to where we are now with this new company that we started called Iron Hike. Um, but I think I have some more photos to show you. Let me see. Yeah. So any questions so far on uh, me walking you through uh, this, this kind of this journey? No, I mean, I want to know like what, like what has this done to you mentally? Like, I mean, because I just ran a marathon um, Sunday and I, I saw that nice work. Thank you. I, but I've been training for it for 12 weeks and I've done an ultra marathon before but there's something that happens to me like mentally when I'm training for something like I, I, I go into this like zone where like most other things don't like things that would typically like bother me or affect me don't. And it just, I become extremely dedicated to this, yeah. to this one thing. And it kind of changes who you are as a person mentally in, in a lot of different areas, makes you more dedicated and disciplined. 
Yeah, it does. And and uh, here, let me show you. So this is this is me on the AT uh, getting it done in 2021, and then that's me on the New England Trail, um, somewhere nice. somewhere in Connecticut. Um, it was beautiful. A lot of cliff walking, like right over there is the fall to your death, and that's all day long. Um, but it, but it was beautiful and, and relatively safe. It starts in New Hampshire, the border of New Hampshire and Massachusetts, and it's 217 miles down to Long Island Sound, basically the Atlantic Ocean. And it it's it was amazing. And then I, I'll get to oh I, I forgot to tell you, I also did a pilgrimage in Spain with my wife on the Camino de Santiago. This is the Portuguese way that mm -hmm. but there she is back there, and there we are trying to look indigenous. I got my <laughs> European hat on. Uh, and there I am in Europe um, on the Camino de Santiago, um, the Camino Portugues, which was really a cool trek. So you get your wife involved in this too? Oh yeah, she's 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 a huge supporter, and she she um, this was her idea of hiking. So she doesn't like the dirty shelters, the tent camping. She wanted <laughs> to do European hiking, which means that we we walk in kilometers all day, and somehow kilometers just are easier than miles. And uh, we walk in kilometers all day long, and we stop in the middle of the day and have little boca, de, you know, boca de use with with wine. We drink red red wine out of ceramic uh, bowls, and she just loves hiking in Europe. And then at night we have fresh seafood and and baguette and stay in a a, a guest house. Or you know, she just loved hiking in Europe. So I said, yeah, we can do that. We can do shishi hiking. I, I gave it a name. It's called glamping. You've heard of glamping. You've heard of glamping. This is glamping. <laughs> and and uh, but still she she's totally involved and totally engaged and this is where it evolved to and i give her a lot of credit we did some big days um on the last day the last push into santiago um in in northern galicia in spain um we started in portugal that's 100 and i want to say it's 107 142 kilometers which is probably 70 miles you'd have to carry the one i don't really convert well but <laughs> it was it was a long one. It was over 100 kilometers. And the last day was a 14-mile day. And a 14-mile day for anybody with a pack on is an honest day's work. And I was very impressed by that. And uh, no. yeah, so yeah, so there I am. So let, let's get to like the changes. Um, and this is me triathloning again recently. It's kind of a, you'll see the beard is the old man beard. And there we are recently triathloning. I would say that's probably last year. But uh, let me unshare for a minute, and okay. uh, let's let's kind of go into your question, and th that's a great question. So, um, I've been trying really hard to kind of categorize why people do this sort of stuff, and why doing really hard shit that's artificial, so artificial difficulty is is so impactful, right? Mm -hmm. And and so um, I know for me, if you think about it, life itself is huge risk. Every morning you wake up, it's scary. Like life is scary. Any sort, so many people, um, I know a little bit about your own story, um, have been dealt really bad cards. They have, you know, they have really difficult background. They have really difficult upbringing. They, they're, they're super unprivileged. They, horrible shit happens to people. Um, people die that you love. You know, you, um, you, you, People are deceitful. You'll get lied to. People will cheat on you. People, people will abandon you. All sorts of crazy shit can happen in your life. And it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And so I, I find that none of that hard shit is helpful. It doesn't make you stronger. All the real hard shit in your life makes you weaker. 
it, it, it kicks the living shit out of your spirit, right? And so when you get to control the hard shit, when you get to pick the really hard things, like a triathlon, like a marathon, like a long hike, like a tough mudder, like, like an iron hike, like a nine mile open water swim, and you get to say, this is super hard. This is really pushing my personal limits, but I'm going to train for it and I'm going to get my mind right for it and I'm going to get in the right mindset and then I'm going to conquer that. That gives you this strength now that was in a controlled environment that it prepared you for the other shit you have no control over. And I find that the things that are used to really just take the wind out of my sails, the things that used to just flatten me, they don't have a lot of power over me now. Once I've been struck dead and brought back and, and announced normal and healthy, and then you know the normal part my wife would argue about, but <laughs> and I've done all this stuff and I've chosen to involve myself in these type of communities. The really hard stuff, the difficulty with family, the the depression with people around me, the losing the job, the fear, the financial fears, all that stuff. It um it doesn't take my breath away like it used to. It's not a punch to the solar plexus. It's, it's okay. That's hard. Yeah. But I've done some hard shit and I've controlled some hard things in my life. And I know how to take on really hard things. And, um, because I decided to not because they happened to me. Right. And so there's, there's a different spiritual place and, and mental place, a mindset place that a lot of people are capitalizing on now. You've got a lot of motivational speakers, some some of whom I respect greatly, and some who I think are, are it's a lot of shtick, right? But they're all about mindset, and and, and I believe in that. I believe that. So I'll give you an example. I, this is really hard things that I have gone through. Um, the usual hard things, right? You have this difficult presentation at work, or you're going to get laid off again, or uh, a family member's just having a really bad time of something and they're super depressed or mm -hmm. you find out that one of your friends um, uh, died or committed suicide or, and it's really hard. Right. And, and so in the past that would destroy me. I would, you know, I would curl up in the fetal position and want to take naps for five, six days. Now I think about that really hard time that I had um, where I put myself in a position where I had to hike 16 miles or, um, I would get hypothermia oh, because if I didn't get down off this ridge line tonight, I could probably die. And, and that experience reminded me that it's just one step after the other, one foot in front of the other, stay focused, stay, stay unafraid, right? And so those artificial hard things help you with the real hard things is real. Yeah, and absolutely. So it's yeah, tra train. It's like training in a sense. It's, you're training your mind to be able to handle the bullshit things in life. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning as I was prepping to come on with you, and I said, you know, I, I, I'm I'm not training right now for anything. I am exercising, so I, I have a. And you know this from all the all the stuff that you've been doing. There's a difference between exercising and training. Yeah, and so, but. I am in training right now in many ways. And, and if you said, if you were to ask me, what are you training for? I'm training for that real shit, that real hard stuff that, that used to take me out, that used to destroy me. Uh, everything that I'm doing, the decisions I'm making, the way I approach my day, the way I approach the people around me, the way I approach my own existence and my own fragile existence is for me very much training for all the stuff that's coming.
and and I know it's coming. It's coming for everyone. I mean, you're going to die, right? Um, you're going to get old if you're lucky. If you get old and, and you're lucky, you're going to have ailments. You may get cancer. You may have a stroke. I mean, all that stuff's coming, right? Yeah. And so how do you prepare yourself for that? A lot of it's mental. And and you get, get to the mental place, I think, alongside of the spiritual place, if you can, through the physical. Now, remember, a lot of people that might listen to this or that we may know can't do the stuff we're doing. They're simply... I know people with heart disease that really literally can't get out of their driveway. So it's, and it's harder for them. It's harder for them to get here, right? Yeah. Because we're able to push ourselves physically and physiologically and spiritually and put ourselves in difficult situations that are artificial so that we can become stronger, so that we, it, both in mind and spirit, not just body. So we can take on, and I thoroughly expect, you know, I'm 60 now, right? I th but I thoroughly expect in my late 70s to be frail and old like everyone right father time has his way and I, I expect to still be mentally strong because of the years of putting myself through it and and you watch a lot of i have a lot of older friends and um some of them are in their early 80s and they're just scared to death of everything and i don't want to be there right i don't want to be scared to death of it so of the real stuff Right. Anyway, that's 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 my version of of what what I think works for me and why why I like to do epic, long, protracted things. And I also believe that you should be doing at least one epic thing a year. And I there are people out there and that are making money in the industry that are motivational speakers that say the same thing. But if you look at our lifestyles, me and my 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 tribe of, of friends, we do one epic thing a year and um, we call it our giddy up calendar. And the giddy up calendar, we start planning in around Thanksgiving through Christmas for the following year. And it's full. You got people doing 100 miles on the eight Appalachian Trail. Someone's going to through hike the, B the BMT. Um, someone's going to do a nine, a nine mile open water swim. Um, and the guys that are less physical, oh, I'm going to hike for three days with my family. Or I'm going to go kayaking on this kayaking trip or this rafting trip. Some epic thing every year to keep this and this strong. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That I think that's actually a, a good point, a good goal is to do some do one thing every year that you have to train vigorously for. And it could be anything, honestly. Like you had just mentioned kayaking, running, boating, like it could be anything. Yeah, um, and not just and not just physically, right? There's something that's that's gonna stretch <laughs> it's gonna stretch your limits. Like if you've never camped and you've decided that my your husband and you are going to go on an 18 day Colorado River rafting trip where you row all day and sleep on the river bank at night for 18 days that's not a that's not an ultra that's not a marathon but that's some hard shit right hard. that's really hard especially yeah. if you've if you're sheltered and you're you've embraced comfort and and you just want to stay home all the time and and that's going to push your limits that's going to that's going to open your heart it's going to open your head to a different way of seeing things. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So um, real quick, can you tell me a little bit about Iron Hike and your goals for that and like what, what it is? Um, yes. I mean, you explained it to me, but uh, for, for the listeners who don't know what it is. Yeah, so I, I'll tell you the backstory on, on, on why we started it. So first of all, Iron Hike is, a, is an endurance production company. It's a startup. Um, I'm the founder and I have this group of co-founders that are military. Oh, it turns out we're all, all military veterans, um, but it, it isn't 
a military organization per se, but we are all army veterans to be exact. And um, so I, I talked a little bit about the giddy up calendar a while ago. And I think that everyone that's, that's all about mindset, that's all about epic, doing epic things every year, we, we all have this thing that we jokingly in our group, in our tribe, we refer to as the giddy up calendar. And it's, what are you doing next year that's badass, right? Well, what kind of badass things are you trying to do? And last Thanksgiving, I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted to start section hiking the Benton Mackay Trail because it's just a beautiful trail. It starts at Springer Mountain, Georgia, and goes to the end of the Great Smoky Mountains. And I decided I was going to northbound it starting at the north and i was going to like go maybe a week's worth of distance south and and hike north and so i did that this spring but i also wanted to do something new i thought maybe i would triathlon again uh, or maybe try some of these adventure races and i discovered this company um called 29029 and and it's they they specialize in what they call everesting now everesting is a cycling challenge really where cyclists decided there's rules around it. It's very structured, but you would cycle up a mountain and, and then come back down and cycle up a mountain and come back down. And the distances has to all be prescribed. And it's, 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 and they have records. Like there's a guy who's the fastest Everster on cycling. And the, and the goal is for them to get to the elevation of 29029, which is the old elevation of Mount Everest from, from sea level. Mm -hmm. And so Everesting became the cycling thing. And so this guy, um, Jesse Eisler, he's a pretty famous dude. He used to be a rapper, and he's he's a world known, uh, world renowned promoter. Um, he's a motivational speaker. I have a ton of respect for him. But I just discovered him when I found his event, and so I'm looking at this 29029, and here's the way it works. He rents a mountain somewhere, and in this case, it was Stratton Mountain in in Vermont, which I had hiked over on the AT, but in a different direction. And people sign up, and they trek up a ski slope. And they jump in the chairlift or gondola and they come down and they rinse and repeat that until they reach 29029. And it's a huge thing. He's got a big following. There are seven of them every year and he sells out. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. So I started doing my homework before reaching out to my buds. And I, I realized that he's the only elevation based um, foot event, um, hiking, trail running, whatever. It's not a race in, in the market. And he's wildly successful. And I started analyzing what he does differently than a typical race, a typical marathon, a typical Tough Mudder. And so I pinged my buddies. And, and I conspicuously, his pricing wasn't on the website. I thought that was interesting. So on December 1st, I pinged four of my buddies. And I said, let's sign up for this. So we did. We all pre-registered. And then I'll never forget it. December 22nd, sitting around, waiting for Christmas to pop. And the email shows up, 29029 Everesting. Registration is now open. So I call my buddy, Cliff. I'm like, dude, it's open, it's open. So we log in and we click, 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 $5,000. And I went, what? This can't be right. And so I Googled it, make sure the price was right. And other people were freaked out and complaining about it. And yet other people have paid it. The previous year, it was $4,600. So I asked Mike who's a former ranger, Green Beret, physician, deployed multiple times recently. He was about my age. And I said, hey, can you do that? Do you want to do that with me? And he says, hang on a second. Comes back like three seconds later. Uh, no, there's no way my wife's going to let me pay five grand to sweat my balls off all day for 36 <laughs> hours. 
And I go, no, you're right. I said, you're right. So then I called Cliff and I said, hey, can we do this? He goes, wow, that's really expensive, but it's, it looks like so much fun, man. Maybe we can do it. He's He's got, you can pay over in four payments. I said, yeah, let me ask. Honey, she goes, no, just no. So I said, Cliff, the no. And he laughed and he said, me too, no. And I said, all right, dude. So I called him the next day and I said, what if we built a company that had these challenges in them and didn't cost five grand? And, and maybe the 10 people or 15 people that looked at it for everyone that actually paid for it and said, nah, I can't do that. It's too expensive. Um, maybe that's our audience. And we all laughed about it, except I, I didn't laugh. They were laughing and I didn't laugh. And three days later, I invited them to a, to a, a presentation in which I had worked out all the details on a startup that would be the David competitor for the Goliath um, event series that already exists called 29029. They don't even know who I am. Um, and But w w the goal was, Let's do one of these by the end of this year. And this was already in February. And so, okay. So I formulated, I didn't own the domain, Iron Hike. I, I wasn't an LLC yet. We had no banking. I was nobody. I was just a guy that was working for a software firm in California that with this idea. And so I started calling ski resorts on Saturdays, basically, and saying, hey, I'd like to come see you. Vermont, Connecticut, New York, Pennsylvania. And then I would go on these the ski alley, the ski resort alley trips where I would drive and I would start super early in the morning and I would show up and ask to speak to the director of operations and the, and the event organizer. And, and sometimes I would get to talk to the owner of the mountain himself. And I'd be like, yeah, so my name is John Colker and we have, we're a startup and we have this idea and there's four challenges. It's four hiking events. And we, we basically want to hike up and down your mountain for, for 3.5 days and all night and all day. And, um, We'd like to rent your facility to do that. Actually, we'd like to partner with you. And some of them thought I was crazy. And some of them thought that was an interesting idea. Let me look into it. And then yet others were like, um, let's check with our legal team. So all right, that was good progress. Finally, in April, Mohawk Mountain in Connecticut says, we're really interested. Let's jump on a call. So we jump on a call. And, and so remember, this was an idea in January. It was a conversation in February, March, April. It was me riding around without a company, without owning the domain, with just a crazy idea in my head, presenting myself as the owner of this idea and seeing what sort of interest there was to three different resorts now interested. One of them's in Pennsylvania, um, but it was too fast for them to do it this year. One in Connecticut and another one in Connecticut that wanted to go this year. And I start the conversation. Um, lawyers are involved. Um, agreements are being written. Uh, Non-disclosure agreements are being signed. And I, I still don't own a company, right? So my wife and I go to Hawaii on a trip that was sponsored by my my then employer. And the night that we get to Hawaii, I said to her, I got I to gotta start this business. So I logged on to Zen Business, which is the uh, Mark Cuban company. And I I did all the paperwork and I basically started the company while on um, another company's vacation and <laughs> it, while I was being paid for president's club and we came home and it was from that point on, it was breakneck speed. I mean, uh, we, 
we signed an agreement, we negotiated the price, we negotiated the, the, the schedule, we negotiated the hours. And then I reached out to, I had a lot of problems to solve now, right? Because everyone wants to be a, a founder until it's time to do founder shit, right? So now I got to, now I got to build a registration engine. I got to build a website. I got to get banking. I got to figure out finances. I got to figure out how much it's all going to cost. And I got to figure out why my competitor charges five grand. Is he charging five grand because it cost him four grand per person? I don't know. I got to figure all this out, right? So we started that. Um, the month of June was all that. And by July 7th, we had a registration engine. We had we had charities interested in being engaged. And now we have three signature charities um, involved. We had to figure out pricing. Um, we had to figure out social media, which we're not quite done with yet. And I reached out to a, to a lot of people who I thought would help me who didn't. And it was interesting to me. Like I reached out to a bunch of established businesses that do similar things and they didn't reply. They're like, good luck, figure it out. And wow. cause now suddenly, well, that was interesting to me because I wonder, I'm, and I, I, I'm not sure about that yet. I still, it might be that we're actually could be competitors. And uh, so we're hoping for that, but a couple of interesting things about that too. So again, that no fear, um, having trained my brain, my mind, my heart, my body for many, many years, this was a natural leap for me and not scary at all. It's like everything else we do in, in the world that we create for this artificial challenging world that we create for ourselves. You have to put your feet on that trail and start walking um, before you figure out, and you'll figure it out once you're on that trail and you're walking. And so that's what we do. We'll put our feet on a trail and start walking. So we've got 30 days left. Um, the website's live. It's getting a ton of traffic. People are signing up. We have probably, it's going to be a, a small boutique kind of event this year about, I would say there's going to be about 50 to a hundred people there. And it's sho shocking to me. I, I had no idea. And so the owner of Mohawk mountain, I said to him, he said to me, um, so you want to do this now or in the spring? I said, no, we got to do it now, man. And we, and here's why we get to learn all these lessons. We get to learn how to negotiate with each other. We get to learn how to bring this to, 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 to reality. And we get to do it with a relatively small audience because next year, this isn't going to be small. This is going to be huge. We're the only, we're only the second company that has organized elevation based um, events that aren't races. And so um, it's 29029 and us, and we're different. Um, and here, and we have this whole list of things that differentiate us. But one of the biggest things is you don't get to cheat and take the chairlift down. There's no gondolas. There's no yurts. There's no open bar for three days. This is, this is, this is, this is a difficult event. Hard this, work and grit. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not going to make it so that the only thing you have to lift is your feet. You're going to be lifting some fingers too. You got to fetch your own water. You got to bring your own food. You got to set up your own tent. When um, you're going to tent camp right off the, right off the course. So it is, it's all part of that challenge. Right. And um, we have great charities now involved. We have a charity called second go, which is a Connecticut based veterans association and charity. And they've been fantastic. They're bringing teams. They have teams competing. Um, and their mission statement is amazing. Their mission statement is we raise funds so that veterans and first responders can enroll in and participate in physical challenges. Wow. And so I'm like, okay, so then I show up and they, we meet through the newspaper that ran a, that ran a, a press release on us. 
and it's just been amazing. And then I have um, a guy raising uh, funds awareness, um, funds and awareness for St. Jude's um, Hospital for Childhood Cancer Research. And this guy's a beast. He's a special forces dude. I met him on the AT in 2020. Turns out he was a mutual friend of another guy that I already knew. And he is a beast. And he's going to do 122 laps up and down Mohawk Mountain for a grand total of 152 miles. Holy and it's 72 feet of elevation gain and loss in 3.5 days in 84 hours. And I believe he'll do it. And he's not some sort of ultra dude. He looks like Clark Kent. He's just a special forces guy. He's retired, but I've seen him do some pretty amazing things. He go, he does he rides across the the state of Iowa. I guess is that Ragby? Okay. He does Ragby, and when he finishes, he finishes with guys that are semi professional cyclists. Wow! And he's got a he's got a goofy cheap bike, and he's like wearing non cycling stuff, and they're like. Who, what club do you cycle for? He goes, no, nah, I'm just out here, man. Because he's that, he's that guy, you know. But he's gonna he's gonna be doing Olympus Mons. I'm excited about it. So that's who we are. 30 days away. Um, would Wait, love hey, to. So it's it's uh, September 30th. It is, but people a lot of people are tent camping the night before. So there's activities on Friday. Okay. So it goes it goes, and I'll explain it, the, the I'll explain how it works real quick. The logistics. So it goes from Friday to Tuesday. Um, there are four events olymp uh they start with clingman's dome and so a lot of people ask about these names um we decided to namesake each one of our events and so we picked we picked the namesake mountain that's meaningful um so of course we have an everest like like our big competitor um but we also have a denali which is the tallest mountain in north america slash the united states and we're all at hikers so we're appalachian trail hikers so we picked um the highest point on the at which is clingman's dome smack dab in the beautiful great smoky mountains national park and then of course we wanted to outdo our competitors so we wanted something like are, are you f-wording kidding me hard and so the tallest the tallest mountain in the solar system is on mars and it's called olympus mons and it's a volcano and it is seventy-two thousand feet above the plane of mars there's no you can't say sea level on mars right right and um so I had the, I was armed with all these mountain heights and everything. And I went and measured Mohawk and I measured a couple of other places. Then I ran it through this calculator that we built because we're all software nerds too. And the calculator spit out the, the distances and I'm going to pull them up and share them with you. Hang on. So here, um, noticed and you're like are you sure this is your first podcast i really <laughs> like to talk so uh not yeah I, I enjoy um relating stories and i think that um my, my wife's heard all my stories so she i get a lot of eye rolls from her but um and I, then she's always amazed that people actually find them interesting she's like yeah i can't believe everyone finds that so interesting i go you've heard it three thousand times that's why it's, <laughs> not, it's not interesting right here i'm gonna, I'm gonna share my screen real quick so all right um, so I'm on my website and I just want to walk you through this real quick. So we decided, so it's interesting what we did. We wanted to make this really, we wanted to, we have a couple of interesting things that make it, um, really available to anyone. So we have that really hard ass, uh, Olympus Mons, which we'll, we'll dig into a little bit, but we also, we have an Everesting challenge, which interestingly, I have no registrations for. I have registrations for everything else except the Everesting challenge, which is the same challenge that our, our um, um, 
uh, Goliath uh, competitor has. And, and then we have, um, we also decided we want a one day event, a two day event, um, a three day event, and then something that's so hard that most people can't imagine it, which is Olympus Mons. And, and then I just, my wife said to me, you know what, make it available to everyone. Like you're going to do relays. And I said, well, let's think about relays for a while. Um, Ragnar does a relay triathlons have relays but you have to find other people who are almost as fit as you are or if not as fit as you are or as trained up as you are and that makes it really prohibitive for people like they it's hard to find it's always been hard for me to find someone to do triathlon with I'm like I'll do the swim all right then you just got to run a 5k well I can't run a 5k can you ride 12 miles I can but it'll take me like two hours so it's hard right so we came up with this idea called Flex Relay, and I, I think it's our idea. I've never heard of it before, and we've been around the block quite a bit. So the way Flex Relay works is if you're, like, say, for example, you're in this challenge called Klingman's Dome, which I think you can see on the screen now, right? Yeah. yeah. Klingman's Dome is um, it's a 12-hour event. It's 15 miles. And when you take a look at it, it's actually 12 laps on this course. And so... If you were to trail buddy that, you or your trail buddy can hike any one of those 12 laps, one after the other after the other in series, in a linear series. And so if you have four people, so my wife and four of her girlfriends, four of her lady friends, who are reasonably fit, but they're not extreme athletes, they've signed up for a, a Clingman's Dome, and they're going to do a team of four, and they're basically going to do three laps each, which isn't trivial. It's a 5K, and half of it's uphill. Hmm. Right. Oh, over a, a rather steep terrain on a ski slope. Right. Um, with trekking poles. So it's not easy, but it's manageable. And so every one of these events is can be broken down into trail um, trail buddies, which is uh, you and someone else or trail team. And it's you and three someone else's. And so when you and we price them accordingly. Right. So there's the individual, the trail buddy and the trail team. And so then we have the second one is Denali, which is 48 hours. And this starts to get a little bit more beastly, right? So this is a 20, this is a 43 mile event that takes that you have 48 hours from the time you start to the time you, your team or you finish. Wow. And basically that's 35 laps up and down Mohawk mountain. And then when you switch to Everest, um, I really want someone to register for this because um, this is a 72 hour event. Again, no gondolas, no chairlift, 61 miles in 72 hours is totally manageable. A lot of athletes can do 20 miles a day um, quite easily. And, and But it's it's um, 49 laps, basically almost 50 laps up and down a ski slope and um, registration accordingly. And then there's Olympus Mons, which is just, it's, it's you know, we call it, it reaches are you kidding me status. And so it, 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 it it's, it's 72, 590, the way that it washes out. It's 122 laps. You've got 84 hours to finish it, and um, it's uh, basically 43 miles a day. And uh, so if you were to register for these things, it runs you over to the Run Sign Up um, website, and you'll see that we have 28 days left. And I have them grouped by individual flex relay and trail team, and I'm going to unshare right now. But And I don't know, when you're finished building this out, um, if you, if any, if your listeners are interested, I, I could give them a rather healthy discount. So okay. it, there's a lot of other things I want to mention too, real quick. So we, it's in Connecticut. Um, we don't, the, if you're traveling from out of state, 
we don't cover your travel expenses or anything like that. That's not included in the registration. But what you get in the registration is we have um, the multi-day event. There's camping um, right off. So there's like there's like four ski areas or five ski areas at Mohawk at the base of the mountain in, in at the um, what they call their base camp. There's a whole bunch of flat. And so that huge flat can probably accommodate 300 tents, 400 tents. And so we're just taking that over, turning it into a base camp uh, tent city. And there is a fee to tent, but um, I, I, I'm very generous with like waiving that or giving half off on that. Um, it's usually like 35 bucks a night per athlete. And then you can buy a pass for $50 and it, it'll allow you to bring up to six other people. Like we call them um, tenting spectators. Some people want to have a crew with them, their wife, their son-in-law, their, their kids, whatever. Right. They're allowed to tent. So if you're doing a two-day event, your family can tent with you and then run to the store during the day and bring you supplies and all that kind of stuff at the local convenience store down the street. But um, yeah, so the, and, and then there's the veterans organization is putting together some cool stuff. They're going to have uh, drum circles. I'm not sure if you're familiar with drum circles, but they're yeah. kind, of, kind of a mesmerizing therapeutic effect. I think we're doing that twice. Um, it's just, it's going to be a, a blast. And it, again, it's the inaugural event. Um, we have really cool bling as well. We have great finishers medals. Uh, I wish I could show it to you quickly. Maybe I can. Um, and then, and then we can wrap up. Do you have any questions about like, I, uh, I don't think so. Um, so as far as like the listeners, when the listeners hear this and if they're interested in doing it, you had mentioned a, um, some sort of discount or whatever. Would you be able to provide some sort of discount code? Yeah, abso absolutely. Absolutely. And so what, what I think I would do is it'd be two codes. The one would be if you just decided you wanted to come just for a Saturday, I would give you one code that would give you a percentage off your registration. And it, um, and I, I, what I'll do is I'll send you that after this meeting and then you can you can actually mention it in your podcast and mm -hmm. or type it out. And, and if they're doing multi-day events, the multi-day events the tenting gets a little pricey. So I'll probably give half off of tenting it, it, so that for you, your team and your family and friends that want to tent with you, I'll give you half off. And um, but I wanted to find real quick. I want to show you the finishers medal. We're really proud of that. So here, hang on. I'll show you a picture of it. There's a Facebook group as well. Um, if, if there's a lot of questions being answered there. So the website address is ironhike.com. And then the Facebook group is called Iron Hike at Mohawk Mountain. So if you just type in Iron Hike, all one word in Facebook, it's the only one. And um, just ask to join because uh, I don't, we don't like trolls. <laughs> um, so, so join. And uh, but here I'm going to share with you the bling because it's pretty darn cool. Um, but uh, yeah, would be su super willing to give discounts. And then. We also have the ability to, to set up a 15-minute call at the website. It says, um, I believe it's called request a call. And let, let's say that you want to do it with four people and you just really want to talk about it first because you're going to bring four people to Connecticut for two and a half days. Um, I'm, I'm, my team and I are happy to jump on a, converse, a call and have a conversation with you. Okay, cool. So here, let me share this with you. I'm going to share my screen. So here is here's the bling. 
um, and, and, and what it is, is oh, sweet. Yeah. What it is, is you'll notice that we have, that's our, uh, what we call our four pines four peak icon disc. And, um, that represents the four challenges, the four events in our series. And then right here you have, um, these are not to scale, but pretty darn close. This is the elevation of Olympus Mons on Mars. And in comparison, that's Everest. Wow. And then just underneath that is Denali. And those are pretty, pretty close to being vector um, graphic accurate. And then underneath that is the, the, um, the spiral visitor center at the top of Klingman's Dome on the Appalachian Trail. And so um, it's funny, I sketched this uh, on a piece of notebook paper while I was sitting through a very boring spelling bee um, by my, uh, that I was invited to for my fourth grade um, niece in Maryland. My wife, oh, we're gonna go to Lexi's spelling bee. I'm like, great. <laughs> and so, and so and, and, yeah, I love my nieces, but I brought a sketch pad and I was just kind of trying to figure out what a cool metal would look like. And, um, and then I put Iron Hike in a scroll and the scroll intentionally goes down and up because that's pretty much what you do at an mm -hmm. iron hike event as you go down and up. And then we have this kind of interesting clasping as well. Let me show you what that looks like. So what you'll see here is this is a, and this is not finalized yet, but this is a, you see how it's three links. We're going to uh, next year, this year you're going to get to 2023 on the bottom of your medal, but next year, you're going to get a single class for the event you were in, whether or not it was an individual or a relay and the year. And then of course the ribbon, um, if we have, when we have the venue in Pennsylvania, other places, the ribbon will change. So I just wanted to share that with you. There's a lot of really cool things going on. Um, yeah, this, I really like that. Well, this, this really, um, for, for me, this, uh, this is very appealing to the inner sixth grader that most of us are. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I got a cool medal. You'll see people almost kill themselves for a finisher's medal. Uh, you for sure will. When I got mine at my marathon, after finishing my marathon, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, it's it's so dumb. It's just a, a little medal. But, well, but you know what it is? It's, it's, it's the physical representation of toil, dedication, effort, mindset. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. I have I have a rack of 18 of them out there from all the different things I've been involved in post-cardiac arrest. And every one of them is meaningful because all of them together are are a physical representation of choices and of mindset and of um, squashing the juice out of each day, um, whether I like it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you had mentioned real quick before we wrap this up um, that you have you, you compare yourself to David and Goliath, like the um, the other the other uh, company that does this. Do you anticipate yourself being bigger than them? Eventually? No, 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 I don't. But do I, do I, but I will tell you where I think we're, where it's headed. Um, the response to this has been very overwhelming. And if you think about it, we've only been live on the internet since about the 10th of July. We're in the last day, the last days, well, the first day of September. And we've literally had, I don't know, seven, 7,000, maybe 8,000 unique visitors to the website. The and it sounds small, but the Facebook oh, group went from the Facebook group went from two to sixty in a period of six weeks, um, and it's all organic. I'm not paying for any advertising, right? Um, the ch I, I've taken on three charities 
I'll share that with you real quick because I think it's it's meaningful. Here, hold on. Uh, we've taken on three charities and here, let me show you who they are. We have three causes so far and these people are uh, bringing teams and St. Jude's Hostel, Second Second Go and Dylan's Wings of Change uh, by, by Ian Hockley. So he's the father of one of the children that were shot dead at um, Sandy Hook in Connecticut. Oh, wow. And he has, uh, and then we are very, we're, so we are super cause friendly because if you remember, I, I told you I hiked for the Iron Heart Foundation and I raised tens of thousands of dollars for them. And I thought that if I'm going to build something like this, it needs to be really cause friendly. Um, so we don't charge you anything to do this. You know, there's no minimum requirement. We are a platform for you. You can go live from the mountain anytime you want. You can raise funds and awareness for your cause. So you'll have Scott raising funds and awareness for St. Jude's. You've got some people do hiking for Dylan. Um, and then you've got a group of people that are doing running, actually, Denali. A team of four is running Denali for second go. And they're all on the same course on the same mountain in the same new tribe but they're all there for different reasons. And, and that brings us to everyone's got a different why for why they're doing these things, right? Yeah. I love that. Very cool. Um, all right. So is there anything else that you'd like to throw out there before we wrap this up? Yeah, so I did want to mention that, that you know, we, we talk a lot about changing your life and, and you know, mm, uh, making, making, trying to find the better version of yourself through these type of um, endurance activities. And, and I believe that, but I also, I don't think that it's just for the extreme athlete. I, and I believe that, so I believe we're trying to create an environment of extraordinary events that are controlled and artificial. So it's, it's controlled pain. It's artificial challenge. It's artificial difficulty, right? We talked yeah. about that earlier and, but it's not just for, the ordinary, right? So you it, you might be a marathoner already, but you've never walked up and down a ski slope 122 times with somebody else, yeah. And figure and managed your sleep, your fuel, your water, you know, cramping electrolytes, um, hiking at night, running up and down a mountain at night with a head with a headlamp on. So we want this to be outrageously hard for people that are already doing hard things and and, and different hard, right? Mm -hmm. We also want it to be for, for people who maybe the choices that you've made have you too comfortable. Maybe, maybe you, you're satisfied with who you are, but you're just sitting on the sofa too much or you've become complacent. Or if something bad now were to happen to you, you wouldn't be ready for it because you haven't been preparing your mind for it. Right. So we want to be for, for us. These events are for people who are super evolved, like the ultra runner, like the long distance hiker we wanted to make it harder on them, even harder than they're used to. And also for people who are considering maybe doing some life-changing things that pushes the envelope on their comfort level all at the same time. And you all start at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning and everyone's in it for a different reason. Everyone's why is different. Everyone's challenge is different. But we're with this community of people, the one thing that we all have in common is we're here because we want to push ourselves a little bit further. Well, however further that little further is for the, each person there so that we can um, strengthen our mind, train our mind, train our hearts for the real difficulties yeah. that life holds for all of us. Right. Yeah. 
that's good. So th I that's my closing statement on that. And 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 lastly, I'd love to see people on the mountain. Um, we'll take registrations right up to the very last day. Okay. Uh, there's going to be, like I said, like-minded fun. It's going to be hard. It's an all-weather event, so if it rains, get ready. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's 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 like soccer um, and American football. If it rains, it's or snows it, or sleets, it's a go. Uh, you're going to sleep in your tent. Um, you know, it's it's just gonna it's gonna be a blast. I think we're gonna have great coffee. Um, I'm in conversations with a great coffee sponsor right now. We're also, um, I'm not gonna drop names yet, but um, <laughs> it, it. So, and the other thing is, there's I, we're working on food trucks right now. My original notion was, no, 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 we're not gonna pamper anybody. It was not gonna be like Goliath. You know, you're not gonna have an open bar for for three days, and we're not gonna provide fancy food and yurts and gondolas, but. So we're going to make a list of things that you could bring in your food bag. We're going to allow backpacking stoves, but I've heard talk now at Mohawk that there might be some food trucks scheduled, mm, which cool. would be cool, right? Which would be really cool. Um, there'll be some tchotchkes and some samples in your, in your packet pickup. Um, but it's, it it's, I think it's very promising. I think that this inaugural event is going to be super unique. It's going to be the right now. It's the cheapest it's ever going to be. Um, we do expect the price point to go up considerably as buzz increases. Um, and next year we expect to be at another venue in Pennsylvania as well. So the goal for next year is three wow. uh, series, and then the following year I want to be at five, and then in 2026 at the height of the company, we'd like to be running seven, and we'd like to have two out west, one in Colorado and one outside of Las Vegas in the Red Rock Canyon area. So. We have big, big goals. Um, it's it's a long trail, and we just started walking it. So, that's awesome. Well, uh, thanks for doing the podcast. Uh, I wish I wish we could do. I always wish we could do these in person. Um, they're so much more personable. But, uh, well, yeah. what what's what state are you in? Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, coming to are you coming out to uh, New England anytime soon? Because we have two events next year, June and October. You, you could be a special guest. You could actually, you could actually podcast from the mountain next year. That would actually be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, possibly. We'll have to talk about that. Okay, man. Yeah. All right. I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. Um, do you think you can share the edited version before it goes live with yes. me? Yep. I definitely will. I'll email, email it to you. Um, when it does go live, all the links will be in the show notes. Uh, your I, I think, I think I used a few cuss words. My wife's not going to be happy, but the good You're news fine. is my wife won't listen past the first three minutes. <laughs> so, so if you, if you, if you can leave all the curse word, all the shit and the, and the F words and all that, if I said any, leave those till later in the podcast. So she'll never get, she'll never get to them. All right. <laughs> all right, well, dude. It's a pleasure to meet you. Absolutely. Thank you.